everyone, and welcome to The Wrap, brought to you by Michigan Medicine Headlines. I'm Dan Elman with the Department of Communication. And I'm Dan's co-host, Deanna Norris. Today, we're going to discuss diabetes and the important research and care surrounding it at Michigan Medicine. Now, before we get into that, go back and do your own research by listening to all episodes of The Wrap you may have missed. You can find the shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any other podcast hosting platform. New episodes can also be seen on the Michigan Medicine YouTube channel and as part of the headlines, we can review. And with that, let's bring in two doctors at Michigan Medicine. Welcome. Can the two of you please introduce yourselves and explain your specific roles? Hello, uh, my name is Rodika Busui and I am uh, the Larry D. Soderquist Professor of Diabetes and a Professor of Metabolism, Endocrinology and Diabetes at the University of Michigan. I am also the Associate Director for Clinical Research in the Castle Diabetes Institute. Hi, my name is Joyce Lee. I am a pediatric endocrinologist here at University of Michigan. I'm also um, privileged to be the Robert Kelch Professor of Pediatrics. Um, and I have an associate director role uh, for informatics and clinical research innovation at the Caswell Diabetes Institute. Outstanding. So let's get started very generically. What is diabetes and how common is both type 1 and type 2? Well, diabetes, it's very common. Uh, in fact, um, since we have been talking about pandemics for the last three years, I think it's fair to say that diabetes is by far even a larger pandemic than uh, COVID um, continues to be, as we uh, currently have more than uh, almost 600 million of people with diabetes worldwide, and unfortunately, the data is raising. Here in US, the last uh, years continue to see an increase in the prevalence of diabetes with more than 37 millions of uh, Americans being diagnosed with diabetes. And as we have seen, um, the incidence and, and prevalence rates uh, continue to raise. And that is true for both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. And although by far the very vast majority of these cases are for type 2 diabetes, uh, unfortunately, the uh, prevalence and incidence of type 1 diabetes has been increasing uh, lately as well. Thank you. And, and can you talk a little bit about the most common risk factors for type 2 diabetes and also what the most common symptoms are that people may experience with this diagnosis? No, absolutely. And it's a very important uh, question here because definitely there are some specific uh, risk factors that are increasing um, the likelihood of someone to uh, develop diabetes. And among these, um, being overweight, or obese is uh, one of the most important risk factors. However, besides uh, overweight and obesity, uh, many other um, risk factors have emerged, including um, different racial backgrounds with people coming from an African-American or Hispanic or, or uh, Native American background uh, having much higher risks. Uh, additionally, a variety of socioeconomic factors um, are uh, very important in driving this risk for type 2 diabetes, lack of uh, um, good food, lack to, uh, you know, uh, um, loss of capabilities of, of exercising or, uh, or being involved in physical activity, housing envi environment uh, as well. Um, as far as um, uh, an 
emerging risk factors that we are um, now exploring for both type 1 and type 2 diabetes um, is also the COVID. So COVID seems to increase the risk of developing diabetes. Um, and that is true for both type 1 and type 2. We are trying to now to research to try to understand what may drive this increased risk. Uh, definitely the increase in inflammation and um, these changes in various immune processes in the human body that are being stimulated and are being um, uh, dysregulated by the virus, by the COVID virus seem to uh, lead to an increased risk uh, for both this type of, of diabetes. This is a lot of ongoing research here in US and also in other countries to, to try to better understand. Are, are there symptoms that you can share that people might experience who have been diagnosed or, or who have type 2 diabetes? Well, so indeed, that's um, sometimes problematic with type 2 diabetes because one may have higher blood sugar levels um, without having any symptoms. I mean, when the blood glucose are very high, one will develop sometimes the same symptoms like type one. They are thirsty, they, you know, they urinate a lot, they um, may feel very tired. But when the blood glucose are just, let's say, moderately or mildly elevated, uh, although they do uh, have a lot of uh, potential to uh, create harm and start, um, you know, start all these various mechanisms that may lead to complications, some people may not feel anything. Others may have, you know, um, UTI, like urinary tract infections that maybe develops or skin infections like fungal infections, or they may note that some of their wounds may not heal as quickly, although they are not very specific. Other may just come with this neuropathic pain. And in fact, um, here at Michigan, we were the ones who many years ago uh, realized that this very uh, typical burning shooting pain in their feet at night was a sign of either newly diagnosed diabetes or this pre-diabetes. Um, and that uh, led um, um, us to, you know, pioneer the idea of performing this specific test for type 2 diabetes called OGTT or oral glucose tolerance test. So the symptoms can vary, but they are not as uh, intense, let's say, as uh, for someone who is newly developing type 1 diabetes. And the reason is that they do not lose their uh, entire insulin uh, production by their own pancreas. So the changes um, happen much more slowly. Yeah, I'm sure more and more information will be coming in, right, as the years go on about the, the link there, but that's fascinating. Now, both of you, when you did your introductions, mentioned the Caswell Diabetes Institute. When was the Institute formed and what is its role and mission at Michigan Medicine? So CDI was founded in June, 2020 and was really designed to harness the strengths of the world around researchers and clinicians that we have here at University of Michigan. There's a variety of scientists, whether they're basic scientists, translational researchers, um, improvers of healthcare delivery, right? That are part of um, our enterprise here at University of Michigan. And this was our opportunity to come together and really uh, think about how we can uh, prevent, treat, and cure diabetes, its complications, and metabolic disorders. Yeah, and I'd like to add to that that it's indeed perhaps uh, 
not too many places in the world can uh, say that they gather the um, broad areas of, of expertise um, uh, through the entire diabetes spectrum from um, you know, discovery of, of these risk factors and mechanism leading to diabetes to the understanding of, of the burden and the mechanisms and the burden of diabetes complications to the implementation of, uh, of this finding from the basic research into the uh, uh, clinical um, uh, research and then implementation of the evidence that we are acquiring in this large um, um, multi-center randomized trials into the actual clinical care. Additionally, the team spirit here at Michigan, I think it's unique and that makes um, the entire research and clinical care discovery um, and implementation um, so strong. Um, so um, I know that I speak for all my colleagues that uh, we are really uh, very proud to, to be part of the Caswell Institute, which actually is a summary of all, all this talent, expertise, and very strong team and collaboration. And I also just want to acknowledge um, the, the Caswell family and all the patients and families that we work with with type 1, right? We have a large population here, um, and I think they have tasked us with the opportunity and the challenge to really think about patient-centered innovations that will impact um, their loved ones, you know, in current state, not well into the future, but, but right now, here and now. Oh, thank you so much, Joyce. That, that, that was amazing. And indeed, I, we don't have words to express our gratitude to all our patients who are participating in all these exciting research studies, whether they are smaller pilots or these larger trials, because without them, we would have never been able to acquire all this knowledge that definitely has changed the way that we deliver diabetes care, not only here at Michigan, but throughout the world. And I think it's it's important to say how proud we are that we were able to generate some of the most compelling pieces of evidence that, that have translated into the standards of, of clinical care in diabetes that are implemented not only here in the United States, but also uh, through the world. I, I have to, of course, acknowledge as well the American Diabetes Association. I have been honored to be selected as the president for medicine and science, and, and the American Diabetes Association is um, issuing this standard of clinical care every year, uh, and those are the uh, models that are being followed by clinicians here in US, but also by clinicians throughout the world. And a lot of this evidence, of course, has been generated also here at Michigan. That's wonderful. Congratulations. And um, can you talk about the exciting research and advancements that are being made regarding diabetes and how the Caswell Institute is moving this work forward? Absolutely. Um, so there are so many things that we can talk about for the last uh, several years that have really changed uh, the, the life and care of our patients. You know, I mentioned earlier that one of the most important burden of disease is, of course, the development of these complications. And um, when we look at complications, they can be very broad. They can include the heart and the cardiovascular system, the kidney, the eyes, um, the 
peripheral nerves or the peripheral nerves, but also the brain, um, the feet, um, as well as many, many other organs. And more recently, as both Dr. Lee and, and myself have uh, been involved, uh, there are all these psychosocial and psychological complications that uh, or burden that uh, definitely have a role. So from um, the cardiovascular and kidney complications, the entire diabetes field in the last several years have seen a huge change by the discovery of drugs that for the first time have been able to very substantially reduce the risk of cardiovascular complications such as heart attacks, strokes, and now more recently heart failure. Um, our team here at Michigan had been instrumental also to um, identify heart failure being now the most prevalent cardiovascular complication of diabetes and how these agents and as well as uh, important uh, steps therapy can help people to not advance in the more severe forms that will require hospitalizations and can lead to that. So definitely the development of these newer agents such as the sodium glucose transporter inhibitors and the glucagon-like receptor uh, agonists have been um, instrumental and have been indeed um, a life changer for many of the patients with type 2 diabetes. Um, additionally, um, we have been involved in many of the trials that led to the coverage by Medicare, for instance, and then of course followed by all the other um, insurance of these continuous glucose monitoring devices. Uh, that are measuring the blood glucose of our patients every five minutes that have before not so easily accessible and being quite uh, expensive. And through um, clinical research studies that we have um, been involved in designing and implementing um, these changes in patients' access have have uh, become possible. Of course, that, that's mainly true for people with type 1 diabetes, and we are now also doing a lot of work to try to generalize the access of these technologies as well as the, um, uh, of, uh, such as continuous glucose monitor to people with type 2 diabetes. The Caswell Institute, of course, uh, gives, a, give, gives us the opportunity to engage in even much high risk, high reward type of research. And I like to acknowledge in this respect, um, the support of the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation that made possible the um, creation of um, our JDRF Center of Excellence here at Michigan in conjunction with the Caswell Diabetes Institute, where we um, are now evaluating very, um, uh, novel and state-of-the-art uh, methods in understanding what defines the difference in the risk of developing complications. As we came to understand that, uh, although in the past it was believed that all complications will happen eventually in everybody and the risk is the same, now we have unveiled a lot of um, um, uh, facts that uh, tells us that that's not the case. And we are trying to identify um, risk profiles and specific algorithm by using very sophisticated methods, including 
proteomic, genomic, metabolomic, transcriptomic, um, uh, and many other omic type of, of research in, in uh, trying to identify which patient may or may not develop a given complication and then that to be available at the point of care so clinicians can use specified algorithms. So those are just few and I'm sure that Joyce will, will want to chime in here as well. So if we sort of peel back the onion a little bit talking about research, like why is it so important to look at the chronic complications of diabetes? Well, because um, the chronic complications are, of diabetes are in fact those that are, um, you know, leading to all the burden in our patient's life. I think that with the uh, continuous progress in technology that um, Joyce probably will also mention, in a way, uh, a lot of the di daily life of a patient with diabetes uh, became much easier. However, um, when one develops chronic kidney disease, when one develops eye disease that impairs their vision, when one develops neuropathy, for instance, which continues to be extremely prevalent, and it's one of the complications where we have still have a lot of work to do to find medications that will reverse disease. Uh, they uh, lose their capability of, of feeling, they lose their capability of engaging in daily functions or like, you know, going to work or doing your activities that you like, gardening, biking, walking. The pain that is present in some people who develop neuropathy, it's so severe that impacts their sleep. Uh, it induces um, changes in mood like depression, anxiety, and may lead to much more severe psychological complication. Um, may require a lot of uh, medication that has a lot of side effects on their own. Additionally, it became now apparent that both type particularly type two, but also more recently, older type one will develop, are at much higher risk of developing this cognitive in, impairment like Alzheimer or other type of dementia, which are important. Diabetes may affect the bone health. There is a higher risk of fracture. Uh, diabetes affects, as I said, the heart and uh, can uh, lead to a heart failure or arrhythmic events that can lead to sudden death. Diabetic affects the feet and the foot complications are another uh, huge area of research here at Michigan um, through both the um, um, American Diabetes Association initiatives, but also through an NIH funding diabetic foot consortium, because if one is, if a person develops this loss of sensations that can lead to ulcers, they can heal much more slowly and much more difficultly in people with diabetes, and that can lead to amputation. And work done by us and by other colleagues throughout the United States now have very clearly demonstrated that if one person is losing a limb to, to an amputation with, uh, due to a diabetic foot complication, the risk of dying, the five-year mortality risk, is as high as many cancers, such as colon cancer or breast cancer. So those are very serious issues that we are now trying to fight and reverse. 
So how is work at the Caswell Institute helping to identify new therapeutic strategies that will improve the lives of patients with diabetes? So one of the strategies that we are implementing, as I said, um, is to engage in this high risk, high reward type of, of research in which we combine these various multi-omic approaches with quite sophisticated uh, computational medicine and bioinformatic uh, type of analysis uh, to um, identify not only uh, risk factors and differences in this uh, risk of complications, but also to identify pathways to uh, screen drugs uh, that are potentially already existent um, in the market that have been developed for other indication, but they can match some of these pathways that we identify that are um, dysregulated um, in diabetes and may lead to some of these complications. And then that's possible, uh, again, just because we have such a great team with such a broad expertise that spans this entire spectrum from, from the bench, from multiomics, from analysis, from um, working also very closely to our colleagues in uh, computer sciences here at Michigan. They are experts in this new machine learning and reinforced learning type of, of analysis and, and integrating these very large data sets also that are available through our uh, continuous glucose monitoring and pump devices, as well as our uh, electronic medical records, where uh, we have the possibility to mine uh, data on more than 80,000 people with type 2 diabetes that we provide care at Michigan, or more than seven or 8,000 people with type 1 diabetes that are also being seen here, whether they are adults uh, or, or kids or youth. And I just I like to um, give the mic to Joyce by um, just telling that more recent uh, research that we've done in a couple of large cohorts of youth throughout the United States um, demonstrated that um, unfortunately kids, particularly adolescents, can develop complications, which is something that really needs to be addressed because the life expectancy of youth is much, much longer. And, and definitely the fact that the risk for complication um, happens at earlier ages that we originally thought uh, requires additional work. Yeah, and I guess uh, on the heels of that, I wanna just acknowledge the role of technology and how much it's changed in the time that I've been, I guess, a practitioner of endocrinology, right? When I, when I came out from fellowship a while ago, I mean, we were doing paper logbooks, right? We didn't have a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor, because they were so bad that you would throw them in the drawer because they didn't give you any valuable data. Um, but we're really in a different era right now as it relates to devices and data, right? So many of us participate, um, I guess, as clinicians in trying to get our patients to adopt technology. We sometimes have to go insurance to do that, uh, to support that and pay for the cost. Um, but we participate, for example, in the T1D Exchange, which is a large quality collaborative. And, um, you know, uh, I think it's clear from sort of data that we've looked at here in terms of technology use, as well as um, national data that acquisition of the continuous glucose monitoring systems, acquisition of an insulin pump, which helps deliver insulin. Um, and then the integration of those two devices as automated systems, meaning a computer algorithm 
will gather data from that CGM and tell the pump what to dose and um, and vice versa, right? Um, the patients have a lot of burden and we need to use technology to help us or to help them reduce that burden and achieve outcomes such that they don't have to develop all the complications that um, Dr. Papasui was just telling us about. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. So we've covered a lot of, of ground here in this conversation, which is amazing. And I just wanna wrap it up this way. Generically, not just talking about diabetes, but you can obviously associate it with that. Why do you think clinical research is such an important part of what we do at Michigan Medicine? Yes, that, that's a great question. And I like to highlight that um, another of the resources, uh, another important resource um, available here is that it enables us to integrate the clinical research into clinical care. Clinical research is very important, and there are, of course, a variety of flavors, whereas one does a you know, randomized trial, um, but sometimes that type of research has to be relevant. Uh, actually, each time the research has to be relevant to clinical care. And by having the research integrated into the clinical care, that uh, allows um, more people to have, have access to the discovery. The clinical research is important because if I will take the complications example, uh, we know that sometimes what we find at the bench may not actually be fully translatable to humans. And that has been a lesson uh, and a relatively bitter um, pill that we had to swallow, you know, 15, 20 years ago when we were so optimistic that we have cured more, most of the complications in various animal models of disease uh, in diabetes. And yet, um, unfortunately, uh, either those pathways that were targeted in animal models were not relevant to humans or the drugs that have been developed had uh, an unacceptable um, spectrum of toxicity in humans. And that has, um, you know, created the premise of a paradigm shift in, in which we are much more careful now to try to design uh, the human trials that will be relevant and help us to answer this question, to target, of course, better models in which we conduct our initial type of test, whether we validate a certain pathways or algorithm or a certain molecule that may be helpful and how we um, you know, uh, prove that that will be, first of all, safe and then uh, potentially effective in human without having this type of tools in clinical research that has also been developed uh, over time uh, without understanding this and um, with this understanding being able to modify many of the trials that we are designing these days. Uh, we wouldn't have been able to, to make the progress that we have made so far. And um, in addition, because we have this opportunity to constantly uh, readjust our finding and, and regroup, um, I'm very optimistic that we will be able to make even more progress uh, across the entire spectrum of complication, as well as in, in preventing uh, both type 1 and, and type 2 diabetes, which are very important goals um, as well. Yeah, and I think I just wanted to add, I mean, relating back to the comment about electronic health records, right? Um, this is sort of the new technology that is really overarching the entire 
enterprise of the health system, right? We have providers interacting with it. We have patients interacting with it through their patient portals, right? And so, you know, this is sort of the one information technology layer that we have an opportunity to leverage, to use, and to help um, integrate um, capture of patient reported outcomes, capture of self-management outcomes, which we know is really important for improving uh, glucose management and for bringing interventions to the bedside um, to really you know, take some of those discoveries and say, let's make sure that this is accessible to all in the system, um, regardless of who you see or where you are seen. Um, so just wanna acknowledge that informatics is a big piece of what we do at CDI. Um, it's sort of at the tail end of the translational spectrum, but again, um, just want to sort of stress and highlight uh, the breadth of expertise at CDI, which starts with the basic scientists, right, um, but really ends with the delivery of care, the delivery of reliable and consistent care that we can give here at Michigan Medicine. Yeah, that's a great way to sum it up. So thank you so much, Dr. Basui and Dr. Lee for sharing this important information. If you wanna learn more about diabetes care and research, go to mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. Okay, so Dr. Lee, we asked you questions about things you're an expert in, and now it's time for some more challenging questions as part of the lightning round. When we ask a guest four quick fire questions, are you ready to go? I'm ready. If you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Yeah, so I guess I would say um, kind of professionally, um, what I would say is that computers, data, and data science is sort of incorporated in anything in every industry um, that exists right now. So I think in my former life, I might have become a computer programmer as well as gone into medicine to really think about how to truly impact uh, outcomes in care. That's interesting. I like that. All right. So earlier this week, Dr. Marshall Rungi mentioned that there will be another pause recommended for standing meetings and other things in August. What is your favorite way to pause when you take a break from work? Okay. I'm totally geeky, but I love to create Tableau dashboards because I'm so fascinated and interested in data. So I'm not a normal person, but I really <laughs> do enjoy that. Um, so I will take the time to process all the data for the CDI in the absence of all of my administrative and operational <laughs> meetings, and I will truly enjoy it. That's great. <laughs> and finally, um, if you could meet one person from history, who would it be and why? I think Dr. Papasui would be good for this question. <laughs> would you like to take this question? <laughs> Um, a person from history. Yep. Marie Curie. Nice. That's a good choice. That's awesome. Well, thank you to both Dr. Lee, Dr. Basui for being a good sport and sharing your knowledge on diabetes. If you want to learn more about diabetes and all the work surrounding it at Michigan Medicine, go to mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. And while you're there, check out other featured stories from this past week. For instance, there was a closer look at important mandatory training that will make the organization more inclusive, and a nurse at Mott was recognized for speaking up for safety while on the job. Find all that and more at mmheadlines.org. All right, Deanna, now next week at Headlines, we're going to give a sneak preview here. We're going to be running the third annual Employee Virtual Art Fair, 
uh, obviously in line with the Ann Arbor art fairs that are going on. So I ask you, do you have any artistic abilities? Uh, let's just say I have the ability to appreciate other people's artistic <laughs> talents. <laughs> That's pretty much where I, I fall in line on that one. I can like, I can, I, I can take a camera and take a picture of something. I don't know if it's going to look good or not. You know, every once okay. in a while, I'll look back on it and be like, wow, that did look good. But I don't think it was anything that I did or I saw. So, you know, you're, you're, you're great at being a, uh, you accept the art that other people are creating. How's that? Absolutely. I, I appreciate art very much. Outstanding. Um, all right. It's time for the weekly trivia contest. Last week, we asked listeners, what is the name of the task force that offers tips to employees on how to reduce work-related emails while on vacation? And the answer is the Time and Stress Management Task Force. Congratulations to Brian Wu, who sent in the correct answer. Now for this week's question, here's Dan. All right, this week's question is, what is the name of the award nurse Courtney Maher received for speaking up for safety? Once again, what is the name of the award nurse Courtney Maher received for speaking up for safety? You can find the answer in this week's headline story. And once you know it, send it to headlines at med.umich.edu for the chance to win a prize. And that's all the time we have for this week. Thanks to Dr. Lee and Dr. Basui for joining us. And thanks, as always, to all of our listeners and viewers for everything you do for patients, families, and each other. We'll see you next week.